Welcome to the Liberty Leadership in Lies with Larry Linton podcast. For those of you who are new listeners, this podcast will be about exactly what the title implies. We will discuss the state of liberty in our republic today and how it is being eroded by the very institution that was created by our founding fathers to protect it, which is the government that now hates us. We'll also discuss the many different types and styles of leadership that exist today, but more frequently we'll talk about how our republic is best served by true servant leadership in elected office. On the topic of lies, we will discuss the many pervasive lies that are told in society today, and not only by our government, but their willing partners in the news media, social media, and tech sectors. These lies, they're designed to rob us of our liberty and destroy our trust in and reliance on the founding principles of our nation and its constitution. I will also use a portion of each episode to discuss my election campaign to represent Tennessee's House of Representatives, District 12. And what I hope to accomplish with my campaign is just basically a couple of things. I want to bring to Nashville an example of what following an oath to the Constitution looks like. And this is based upon my 30 years of service to our nation in the United States Navy. Additionally, once I am in Nashville, I would like to restore the state's role as the creator of and the parent to the federal government. What a lot of people don't realize is that our federal government is not a party to our Constitution, but it is a product of the Constitution. And this Constitution is a charter between all of the states that empowers the federal government with certain and extremely limited powers, such as providing for the common defense and to regulate trade. We can also discuss any tactics or techniques the listeners may have in the fight to restore our nation's founding principles when engaging with what has apparently become the people's enemy over the course of generations now, and that is the government that, one, hates us, and two, only sees us as the means to obtain and maintain power. If you would like to contact the show, just send an email to Larry at LibertyLeadershipAndLies.com. You can also subscribe to my blog there at the website. Additionally, even at the website, you can contribute to my campaign. You can find the podcast and the campaign on social media. Just search for Larry for TN12 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for the campaign info and Liberty Leadership and Lies with Larry Lynn for the podcast social media pages. I'm also on Telegram as Liberty Leadership and Lies. I will be recording the show either from the Goat Locker Studio in Sevierville, Tennessee, or on remote locations where my consulting business or election campaign takes me. Welcome back to another episode, ladies and gentlemen. And as I often like to remind you, please remember to like and follow the podcast and the campaign on all our social media pages, as well as on the website of libertyleadershipandlies.com. Listener support has been re-enabled on Anchor, so if you would like to support this podcast, head over to Anchor on the show's homepage and click the support button. So this week, we're going to continue with the theme of the major political parties, the GOP and the commies, or Democrats as they call themselves. We'll talk about the leadership failures that are evidenced by each of those parties' publicly released platforms. We already covered some of the Republican parties. We're going to focus on the Democrat parties. And these leadership failures, servant leadership failures, can be seen in two different ways. The first way, which is covered by the Democrat Party's platform, is how they built that platform on half-truths or outright lies. The second way is covered by the Grand Old Party, the Republican Party. 
and how their refusal to stand up for their stated principles or how they concede to the communists. So the communists, or Democrats as they call themselves, are able to put out their political party platform constructed with half-truths and lies because, for those very same communists, it is definitely party and power over country. And most of their adherents, their lemmings, follow their talking points as if it is the gospel itself. And they also follow their feelings over facts. So let's go right to their party platform and we'll take this straight from their own printed words. Quote, where we stand. Democrats believe healthcare is a right. Diversity is a strength. The economy should work for everyone. And facts and truth matter. Unquote. So today we're going to concentrate on those opening bullet points as well as the Republican Party's response to those bullet points. The first point on the communist platform, healthcare is a right. Let's look at how a right is defined. Here's just one definition, something to which one has a just claim. Or how about this definition, a moral or legal entitlement to have or obtain something or to act in a certain way. Democrat or commie leadership has been quite successful in the messaging of this, that health care is a right. How does any individual have a just claim to the labor and efforts of another? But us rational people, we must really break this down. It really just falls down to semantics. You must never, ever forget this. The communists have been much better at semantics, controlling the narrative and language, to get compliance than their so-called political adversaries. So, each of us do have a right to care for our own health. Absolutely. It's one of those self-evident, meaning it doesn't have to be explained, self-evident, unalienable, God-given rights. Rights that are not bestowed by man or government. But health care? Health care is a system of barter or exchange that is agreed upon between two or more people that facilitates or assists people while exercising their right to care for their health. Hopefully you can understand the difference. So, caring for your health is your right. And health care is a human design system, not a right. The communists have successfully changed the narrative to make those two synonymous. Caring for your health and health care. In the health care system, again, a human design system, where two or more people agree to a set of conditions or payments, where a healthcare provider provides a service to assist the individual with their skills in exercising their right to care for their health. It's not a right. Also, nowhere in Article 1, Section 8 of the Federal Constitution is the human design system of healthcare listed as a power granted to the federal government to control. If healthcare is not an enumerated power in the Federal Constitution, that means it is a power reserved to the states or the people. When did this shift in narrative actually begin, though? Just when did the federal government start inserting itself into the citizens' ability to privately engage or contract with other private citizens in exercising a personal or individual right? Well, sad to say it wasn't very close to the date of 1913, the year our republic started its downfall from a constitutional republic to communism, but it wasn't before 1913 that it started to happen either, which is important to note. Because prior to the passage of the 16th Amendment, the federal government would not have been able to use our own sweat equity as the carrot and stick to get compliance from states and individuals. In what should be a personal choice for private citizens to engage in contracting with other private citizens, health care providers, to facilitate their exercise of the right to care for their own health. 
healthcare providers who, by the way, spent their own sweat equity investing in their own human capital. After all, the federal government, at least up until this point in our nation's history, it does not select the people that become healthcare providers, nor does it, as an entity, educate and train healthcare providers. They also, again at this point in our nation's history, do not use our sweat equity to educate and train these people. Private citizens make the personal choice to enter into the education and training pipeline to become healthcare providers, and they spend their own sweat equity to become healthcare providers. So back to the question of when did the federal government really start inserting itself into these, what should be highly personal, choices of the citizens in exercising their right to care for their health? Well, truth be told, it started in drips and drabs for very small portions of our society. In the late 1700s, it began with legislation that covered merchant marines and members of the U.S. Navy, who paid a tax to sustain the system. It was the precursor to the public health system. In other words, this was done for only an extremely and infinitesimally small part of the citizens. There was a mixed bag of federal legislation up until 1935 that only incrementally touched upon people's personal health choices. It was in 1935 when the Social Security Act authorized health grants to the states. Of course, the stated principle was that it was the most effective way to prevent interstate spread of disease and as a way to improve state and local public health programs. Remember that Social Security Act was part of the Communist New Deal legislation of the FDR era. So from 1789 until 1935, 146 years, the self-evident unalienable right to care for our own health by entering into contracts with health care providers was largely free from federal government interference. How long was it before the federal government tried a near-complete takeover of the nation's health care system? Well, it was a much shorter time frame. It took until 2010 for the Affordable Care Act to be passed, as a completely partisan piece of legislation, I might add. It only took 75 years, just a little bit more than half the time it took the federal government to begin inserting itself into private citizens' health decisions for the federal government to decide to conduct a complete takeover of the health care system under the guise of taking care of the citizens' health. Again, they would not have been able to do this had the 16th Amendment not been unconstitutionally ratified. It only goes to show that the strategic messaging by the communists and government works very, very well. Strategic messaging is an absolutely necessary function of exercising leadership. The term strategic communications has become popular in the leadership lexicon over the last few decades. It is infusing communication efforts with an agenda and a master plan. Typically, that master plan involves promoting the brand of an organization. In the case of today's topic, those organizations are the two major political parties, as well as the organization of big government. The communication is meant to urge people to do specific actions or advocate for specific legislation. Have you noticed how both major political parties have been messaging on health care? Both of the political parties have blended caring for your health and health care. Which, again, health care is a system of what should be decisions between a private citizen and a health care provider. What they are trying to hide is this, that when they both talk about health care, what they really mean is health care insurance. Follow the money, people. This has enabled the political parties and the federal government to manipulate how much and how frequently they redistribute our sweat equity at the national level 
when it is meant to be done at either the state level or in a truly free constitutional republic at the personal, at the individual level. I would like to ask the audience to honestly look at sectors of our economy where the federal government has inserted itself. What has happened to the prices that the citizens pay? They all go up. Invisible taxes. So to recap, health care is a system and not a right. Caring for your health is a right. Political leadership has been quite successful in their strategic messaging on this. Is this the leadership needed in our constitutional republic? Blurring the lines between a system and a right? If so, keep listening to the two major political parties and especially keep electing them to office. Or do we want leadership that protects our individual, self-evident, unalienable, God-given rights? Leadership that will restore the concept that all power is inherent in the people, including the power to make personal choices on where and with whom to spend our sweat equity in exercising our right to care for our health. While most of this work has been carried out by the communist political party and in big government, we cannot forget how their work is not only not obstructed by the Republican Party, sometimes the GOP facilitates and enables the communists in this work. I hope all of you can see how the leadership of both political parties has successfully used strategic communications, strategic messaging over the course of the past 70 plus years to transform health care from a human design system into what is now considered to be a right. Now let's take the second bullet point of the Communist Party's opening statement on the platform of who we are. They state that diversity is a strength. Do you think they really believe that? More importantly, do their actions really reflect that statement, diversity is a strength? Or is it just more strategic messaging? Remember, leadership strategic messaging can be broken down to accomplish four things. They are, one, a way of persuading other people to accept your ideas, policies, or course of action. Or two, strategic messaging is a means of persuading allies and friends to stand with you. Three, it means persuading neutrals to come over to your side, or at the very least to stay neutral. And four, it means persuading adversaries that you do have the power and the will to prevail. So, do the Communist Party's actions match up with the statement, diversity is a strength? Well, just look at one aspect of what we are discovering that has been happening since the outbreak of the pandemic in March of 2020, when our government schools shifted to virtual learning. That was when parents got a glimpse of what their children were being taught, or more appropriately, what their children were being indoctrinated with while in government schools. A lot of citizens in this country came to realize that their children, while only getting a small bit of academic instruction, and by academic instruction I mean that children were being taught reading, writing, and mathematics, and only bits of academic education as evidenced by falling test scores in those areas of instruction all over the country. These children, though, were getting a much heavier dose of what I refer to as re-socialization. One of the topics in the leadership courses I facilitated while on active duty and continue to do so in my consulting work is resocialization. Let's get into the definition of that word before we continue. Resocialization is the process by which one's sense of social values, beliefs, and norms are re-engineered. The most frequent places or institutions where resocialization used to take place 
were military organizations, prisons, or mental hospitals. Now, through the strategic messaging by the political parties and big government, we can add government schools to that list. Resocialization is a process that is deliberately carried out through an intense indoctrination. Something important to note about socialization is that what can be learned can also be unlearned. You must unlearn what you have learned. And that forms the basis of resocialization to unlearn something and to relearn something completely different. Parents all over the country were discovering that their children were undergoing re-socialization in government schools. Government schools and their big union allies were doing this so children would unlearn the morals, values, principles, and beliefs they were learning in their parents' home. You can actually trace the breakdown in our society's norms, beliefs, values, and principles to the establishment of the Federal Department of Education. So with the advent of the quote-unquote new normal of pandemic virtual learning, Parents all over the country were discovering that this resocialization was happening under their very noses, as well as coming to the realization that their own sweat equity in the form of federal income taxes and local property taxes were paying for it. Groups of parents all over the country started to pop up to fight back against the resocialization that their children were forced to undergo. Groups like Moms for Liberty at the county, state, and national level. Oh, before I go much further on this topic, I must let you know that I have been in a discussion to have an awesome guest on the podcast here in the near future. Her name is Robin Steenman. Look her up. She is a modern-day Joan of Arc, if you will, but we pray she doesn't suffer the same fate as Joan, which you never know with these communists. She leads a fantastic group of concerned parents called Moms for Liberty here in Tennessee. This group is fighting back against the resocialization that has been happening all over our state fighting against the re-socialization and desensitizing of our children. She has made statewide and national news in her efforts. Robin is a true patriot, taking a stand in the arena to fight back against this creeping communism that is being accomplished through re-socialization and desensitizing of our children. I am so looking forward to getting that interview set up. I'm hoping to do it as a Facebook Live event or some sort of video event. Another group here locally that has been working, fighting against this resocialization and desensitizing process in government schools is Empowered Severe. I have met and had several discussions with members of this organization and hope to have them on a podcast as well. But back to what has been happening to our republic's children with regards to resocialization. This resocialization process has been part of the communist strategic messaging as well. Think about this. Over 2,000 years ago, the Chinese philosopher and strategist Sun Tzu wrote this, quote, To fight and conquer in all your battles is not supreme excellence. Supreme excellence consists in breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting, unquote. The communists and government for generations now have used the re-socialization of our nation's youth quite effectively in transforming our constitutional republic into what it is becoming today, a nanny state, or more appropriately, a communist state. Breaking the resistance of the norms, values, beliefs, and principles of what children were taught at home without having to actually fight a battle. So, how does diversity is a strength in the Communist Party's platform and re-socialization have to do with each other? 
Well, the communists have been re-socializing our children to think that everything that happens in society is done on the basis of race. That is the root of critical race theory. They have also been desensitizing children to immoral behavior through access to books and programs that run contrary to what is learned at home. Diversity is supposed to be about highlighting synergy. Where the sum of everybody's individual strengths, no matter their background, ethnicity, or country of origin, is greater than their strengths individually. Hence, the communist embracing of the invasion of our southern border of people that do not want to assimilate, not contribute to the synergy that is a result of assimilating into our uniquely American culture. But that's a topic for another day. So back to re-socialization happening right now all over the country. Parents realize that the re-socialization of their children to believe they are either an oppressor or part of the oppressed based upon the color of their skin is actually the opposite of diversity as a strength. It's balkanization. Dividing people into groups based upon many different factors. The communists have been successfully, and under the very noses of the parents, putting Sun Tzu's philosophy into practice. Resocializing generations of children to believe that teachings like critical race theory and the 1619 Project are strengthening our society. Resocializing generations of children to believe that the morals, values, beliefs, even the faith of their parents are wrong or archaic. When in all reality they are sowing the seeds of hate, distrust, and immorality in our children. So I guess we could say that this is the only blessing to come out of this pandemic that we've become aware of the lengths the communists in government and of both major political parties and big union allies, the lengths they will go to to ensure that there is constant division, strife, and immorality among the population that ensures their hold on power is strengthened. So just how did or how does the GOP play into this? Or how do they enable this erosion of norms, values, beliefs, and principles? Well, they abandoned the culture war. They quit fighting, or they abandoned that arena. Additionally, they continued their support for a federal department of education. Why? Because of the money. They allowed the communists to break their resistance without fighting. Now let's discuss the Communist Party's third bullet point on their platform, which states, the economy should work for everyone. And how do they make that happen? Through higher taxes? Their tax the rich or the rich should pay their fair share mantra? Strategic messaging is how they are trying to accomplish this third bullet point. They actually do not want an economy that works for everybody. The sniffer-in-chief's actions, along with his communist comrades in elected office, prove this to be wrong or a lie. On his very first day in office, he shut down the Keystone Pipeline. That is just one of the actions the communists in our government took to undermine our economy. Shutting down that pipeline, along with many other extra-constitutional actions, meaning executive orders, other unconstitutional actions that stopped or hindered domestic oil production in our nation. Doing this ensured our economy became, once more, dependent on foreign energy sources. Can you ensure an economy that works for every citizen when you put into place policies that make us dependent on foreign nations? Absolutely not. 
Unlike our current administration, or any time the communists are in control of the reins of government, foreign countries work in the best interest of their countries. Yes, totalitarian and democratically elected nations alike. They do not work in the interest of making the American economy work for the American people. They work in the interest of their country's economies, to the detriment of the American economy. So when the communists have the reins of power, they aid and abet those foreign nations over our own country. And this is playing out for the world to see right now with the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. They have placed our nation in a position of weakness where we cannot negotiate a way out of this situation for the people of Ukraine. Sad to say, but they must go it alone on the military and diplomatic front. The leader of Russia played us, and our supposed allies, on our weaknesses. Russia laid bare for the world to see how weak we have made ourselves in just over a year. How is that economy that works for everybody really working out for us? Communist policies here at home have made us dependent on other nations in nearly every sector of our economy. So, how long before China starts playing the same game with Taiwan? It will be sooner rather than later, I believe. Now let's touch on the last of their four bullet points on the party's platform, and that is, quote, and facts and truth matter. Really? Facts and truth matter, huh? Just to which facts? Which truth? Well, we all know it's only the facts and truths that are approved by their allies in the legacy media, social media, and big tech. And these facts and truths are fed to them by the communists in government. From things like their talking point of the big lie, which is in itself a big lie. Because they are telling the entire population that A, 81 million people voted for the senile old man currently occupying the White House, and B, we cannot believe our own eyes, expert testimony, and statistical analysis about the rampant fraud that took place in the 2020 election. Or now, suppressing evidence on the true efficacy of their beloved vaccines. It must be pretty bad if even one of the communist's biggest allies in the legacy news media is calling out one of big government's three-letter agencies for lying to us. Maybe, we can only hope, that the New York Times is starting to sense a shifting of the winds on actual public opinion instead of listening to their own echo chamber. Anyway, what people have been saying for months now about the Center for Disease Control hiding information, which the communists and their lemmings, along with their enablers in the legacy news media and social media, have done their best to suppress and label as misinformation or conspiracy theories, has come to light. This is from the New York Times, quote, The CDC for more than a year now has been hiding data from the American people, unquote. Why does the CDC say they suppress the data? Well, they say that agency officials have, quote, a fear that the information might be misrepresented, unquote. Data is data, folks. Their actual fear is that the truth is coming out. But remember, this is the fourth bullet point. Facts and truth matter. When you have dumbed down generations of the population through federal control of so-called public education, the only facts and truth that matter are the ones the communists approve of. 
Strategic messaging and re-socialization works well for the communists, and we must begin to fight against it. As we close the show this week, the message from God's Word comes to us from Titus 2.7. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity. The Communist Party and the Republican Party through the former strategic messaging and re-socialization of our nation's children and the latter's capitulation in the culture wars and enabling of big government education systems are not models of good works. They definitely do not teach integrity and dignity. In fact, the combined agents of the political parties and the government they have enabled are quite the opposite of integrity and dignity. Their leadership has done significant almost irreparable damage to our constitutional republic. We, the people, need to shake off the apathy that has allowed this to happen for generations now and work to encourage and support true servant leaders to seek elected positions in government. As I mentioned at the outset of this episode, please follow the campaign and podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Telegram, and hopefully True Social here soon. Also, Share these social media sites with your family, friends, neighbors, and co-workers. Until next week, stand in the arena with me. Reveille, it's time to wake up.